Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. Happy Hump Day. Thanks for being here. I'm David Brody. It's Wednesday, April 14, 2021. Today, President Biden officially announces that all U.S. troops will be out of Afghanistan by September 11th of this year, which, of course, is the 20th anniversary of 9-11 that got us into Afghanistan in the first place. President Trump had a May 1st deadline in place, but that's not going to be happening. So more in a moment. Also today, strengthening election integrity laws in Arizona. Sincere condolences, by the way, today to Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg and other big-time liberals Sorry, they're no longer going to be allowed to indirectly, privately fund election operations in the state. It was actually Zuckerberg who gave more than $400 million to a couple of nonprofit groups. They used that money to fund a get-out-the-vote effort in Arizona and many other states we will explore. And vaccine passports, we here at the water cooler call them your vaccine papers. Scary stuff. Here's the burning question. From a constitutional perspective and a legal one, Can a private business make you get the COVID vaccine? What if you say no? Can they fire you? We're going to delve into that. But first, lots of news to get to on Afghanistan and Biden's so-called infrastructure bill, immigration, a whole lot more. Joining me now, the number two Republican in the Senate, Senate Minority Whip John Thune. Senator, great to see you again. Always good to be with you. Thanks, David. Well, let me start with this. First on Afghanistan, I I guess the bottom line is is what's going to happen here? Is this the right move by President Biden to fully pull out all of our troops? It is not the right move. Um, I think it's a big mistake. I know there's a lot of pressure from the left in this country to get out of Afghanistan, but we have a lot invested there over a long period of time. And the one thing that we don't want to do is create the conditions there that are favorable for Uh, terrorist organizations to um, train and prepare and plan attacks against the United States. And the one thing that the question they can't answer is what happens with the with the Taliban if they're back in charge in Afghanistan. These decisions need to be conditions based, David. They need to be based on what's happening on the ground, not artificial timelines. We've said that repeatedly. We have a we don't have a big force there right now, but when we haven't lost uh, lives there of late, but we need to maintain uh, an adequate force to ensure that all the gains that we've achieved there these past many years, which have come a great sacrifice, both in the firm form of loss of lives and injuries to a lot of American servicemen and women, that those uh, are not in vain. Right. And there's so many follow ups to that, but we'll, we'll just let's move on. We've got so many topics to get to uh, infrastructure yeah. <laughs> uh, or I'm sorry, let me put that in air quotes. What in the world is infrastructure today, by the way? Uh, I want to ask you about uh, what is acceptable, if you will, to Republicans on an infrastructure bill here. Where's the middle ground? What what does the Biden administration need to understand where Senate Republicans are coming from here? 
Well, first, I think that, um, I, yeah, the Democrats are broadly defining it. In fact, that, that great red tie you're having in their definition would probably qualify as infrastructure. <laughs> but I, I, think, I think for Republicans, there are Republicans who would vote for an infrastructure bill if it was about roads, bridges, highways, uh, perhaps water, wastewater, uh, maybe even broadband. But a fairly narrow um, package that truly meets the definition of infrastructure. I mean, highway bills has always been broad bipartisan support for in the past, but this is a massive expansion of the federal government. It is this utopian vision that the Democrats have of, a, of a, you know, an oversized nanny state that literally has its tentacles into every aspect of our uh, daily existence. And yeah. so it, there's, there's not going to be Republican support for that. They want to pay for it, finance it with massive tax increases, which would really wreck the economy and hurt jobs. And, uh, and also with additional debt, David, which, as you know, with everything we've been through with the COVID uh, this last year, we've added a lot to the debt. We put a lot of uh, this spending on the credit card and we're passing the bill to our kids and grandkids. We can't keep doing that. Um, this bill is another, and it's growing by the day. It started out about $2.2 trillion. Now they're talking almost $3 trillion, and I think it'll just get bigger over time. So there is a deal to be had from a unity perspective if they can target it rather than make it broader than they're doing. Correct. If they could find something that's focused truly on what the American people understand, I think it's a pretty basic understanding of what infrastructure is. Right. And focus it on that and, and shrink the cost of it substantially. Uh, I think there's a way, there's a deal there. And honestly, you know, people ask, how do you pay for it? Well, I think you can pay for it. We've got trillions that we put out there already that haven't been spent. Much of it, you know, the states are controlling, but you could give them the option of using that for infrastructure. I mean, there are a lot of ways yeah. you can do this where you don't have to raise taxes. Right. Senator, let me turn to immigration. Uh, you obviously have been out in front of this issue for a very long time. You were on the border uh, recently with some of your GOP colleagues. Uh, What's what's the end game here? And, and I guess where I'm going with this is from a humanitarian standpoint, this is just a horrible crisis. Uh, Joe Biden loves to talk about morality all the time. But I wonder, do, do you believe what's happening on the border is is immoral is a and, and the Biden administration is responsible for a lot of this? They, they sure are. And they were warned in advance. This is what happened. Um, and, you know, honestly, I think you have to acknowledge, David, we are a nation of immigrants, but we are first and foremost a nation of laws. And the Biden administration has decided basically we're not going to enforce immigration law. We're not going to finish building the border wall. Um, and we're going to dispense with many of the very successful Trump administration policies that were helping keep the border secure and keep people from coming literally by the thousands every day. Uh, you know, the month of March was a new record, a 20 year record in terms of people coming across the border illegally. We had more kids, uh, you know, unaccompanied minors than we've ever had before. This is a, a situation that is uh, eroding and worsening by the day and totally preventable if the Biden administration had simply listened to the Border Patrol about what's working, what's not working. They chose not to do that. And uh, we've got a crisis, and the only way to get ahead of it is for them to send a different message to people in Honduras and El Salvador and uh, Guatemala and Mexico that, you know, we are a nation of laws. We're going to enforce our laws. Come legally. You yeah. know, we have a, a legal process for people to come here. And what we have now down there is a swamp border patrol, communities that are uh, overwhelmed with the people coming across, and a very... It's a humanitarian crisis simply because a lot of these kids that are trying to get into the country are being exploited by traffickers and smugglers and putting themselves at great danger to try and get here. This is a, 
a total disaster and it was totally avoidable. You, you know, Senator, I want to ask you this question about the future of the Republican Party. I've been wanting to ask this to you for a while. We've known each other for a while. You're a rock rib conservative. I mean, when, when you think conservative, you think John Thune, for sure. And, and yet the party seems to have morphed a little bit, changed a little bit. Donald Trump came on the scene. Everything was kind of uh, mumble jumbo there. Uh, he's, he's throwing barbs at Mitch McConnell. He's kind of Donald Trump is uh, not had a few kind words for you either. So, so where, what do you make of this rift, if you will, Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell, and also about where the Republican Party is? Because, you know, like I said, for years and years, I mean, you've been this rock rib conservative, and now all of a sudden people are like, oh, John Thune, he's part of the traditional establishment. So I'm very curious to get your thoughts on all of this. Well, I appreciate that, David. You're right. I've known you for a long time. And when I first ran for office, I was the insurgent candidate. Right. You know, I was running against the party establishment. And um, so, you know, I think that for me, at least, as I look at the future and, and the vision of the country, uh, the one thing that, um, you know, Donald Trump did is he did appeal to uh, swaths of voters that, you know, we haven't in the, in the past been able to get to align with us. And so blue collar voters, uh, working class voters, some of them have come into the fold, but he also... He, you know, he drove some other voters in suburban areas away. And so what we have to do is figure out how to knit together a coalition that will allow us not only to win elections, but to be a governing majority. And I think there's a path there to do that. But it really does. It does come down to the ideas. You know, we can't be about personalities. We can't be. We have to be focused on ideas, policies, a vision and an agenda that will improve the quality of life for the American people and keep Americans safer. It's, you know, it's peace through strength. It's economic freedom. It's personal freedom coupled with individual responsibility. It's fiscal responsibility, something that we've gotten away from, limited government. I mean, those are core Republican values and principles that I think transcend the times that we're in. And we've got to remain, keep those as our anchor and come up with a way of messaging to a country that I believe is center-right. I think this country is center-right. They don't always vote that way. They're not radical. And you know, this last election wasn't about... Uh, you know, a mandate to, to create this extreme radical change to try and transform the country, as the Democrats have said. It was really about uh, trying to, you know, create a, an opportunity for people to work together and get things done. That's why you have an even Senate and an even House. Um, but if we're going to get the majorities back, and we need to for the sake of the country, uh, we've got to articulate a message that is winsome to the American people. It talks about economic opportunity, uh, national security, limited government, personal freedom, individual responsibility, all yeah. those core values. That's really what this party is about, has been, uh, is, and I think will be in the future. But sometimes we don't talk about it as, as successfully as we should. I've got 20 seconds left. I take it you're okay. going to take Sorry. Some, that was 20, a long no, answer. You're, you're good. Uh, I just, uh, you're going to take your time and figure out whether or not you're going to run for your election. Is that the plan? Is that going to be announced later in the year? I know you typically don't announce it too early. Correct. And I, I've said we'll, we'll make official state plans and announcements later this year, but mm -hmm. campaigns are too long, cost too much, and I think the American people get tired of it. But I'm just going to keep focused on the work, and right yep. now it's trying to keep the Democrats from wrecking the country. <laughs> Senator John Thune, always great to see you, sir. It's glad to reconnect. Thanks, David. Nice right. to be with you. All right, Senator John Thune. Uh, look, and it's exactly what I said, folks. I've known him for a very long time. Guy's a rock rib conservative. Uh, the party is going through some machinations, and that's what we're seeing played out in the media, as you might imagine. The liberal media is loving every minute of it. Back in a moment. <sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. 
Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Glad to have Senator John Thune in our first block. We've got uh, election integrity news to get to. If I were CNN, I'd say we have voting restriction right information to give you. That's with Don Lemon and the boys over there at CNN. Uh, and I say the boys because we're all the female anchors in primetime. Oh, I'm sorry. My bad. That's a whole nother uh, segment. All right. Let's go to Breitbart's uh, headline here. Uh, Arizona Governor Ducey signs bill into law that prohibits private funding of election administration. We're going to unpack all of this. It has to do with Mark Zuckerberg and all the money he was funneling in through all of these indirect uh, groups. Uh, joining me now, Dr. Kelly Ward, Arizona GOP chairwoman, and Jake Hoffman, the man that wrote the bill, Arizona State Representative. Uh, both of you, thanks so much for being here. David, it's thanks. always great to be with you and with your audience. Uh, well, Kelly, Jake, let me start actually with Jake and tell me, take us through this bill, explain to our viewers exactly what's in it and why the governor signed it. I'm happy to do it. So look, this bill is very simple. It's not like the 500 or 2000 word or a page bills in Washington, DC. Uh, it's one sentence. And it says that Arizona elections aren't for sale. No private monies may be accepted or expended for the administration or management of Arizona's elections. And this is important because, you know, we saw in 2020 nearly half a billion dollars, that's billion with a B, was spent by big tech billionaires to influence the management and administration of elections all across the country, county recorders and secretary of states including millions and millions right here in Arizona. And that is a bridge too far. The people of Arizona do not want that type of outside influence in our elections. So Kelly, this is something that you have been talking about for a very long time, that the laws must change. You've been on the front lines. Uh, where is this going, this law? And there's probably gonna be others to come and whether will the governor get behind some of these, these others that are in the, in the hopper, if you will? Exactly right. I love to see our Republican representatives, our Republican senators leading the way. Arizona's the tip of the spear here on election integrity. We're getting ready for a big full forensic audit of the Maricopa County election from 2020. It's going to show us a lot of the, the problems, the mistakes and potential fraud, potentially fraud that happened here right in our state. And thank you to Representative Jake Hoffman, for putting this bill forward and to the governor for signing it into law. We have a bunch of other election integrity pieces of legislation coming up that are still being debated at the House and at the Senate. And I want to urge Governor Ducey to sign those pieces of legislation into law as well, because we have got to do everything possible to restore uh, election integrity and voter confidence so that going into 2022 and going into 2024, people get out and vote and they make sure that our country is going in the right direction. Yeah, and Jake, let me ask you a little bit about the Democrats who are pushing back here who say, hey, we need, we need, we need better funding in Arizona and they'll talk about other states too, but in Arizona for sure, that the funding isn't there, so we gotta find the funding somewhere. What's the reaction to that? Well, so look, the reality is that the money that the Center for Tech and Civic Life and the Center for uh, Election and Innovation and Research, uh, the monies that those two nonprofits funded by Mark Zuckerberg and other uh, billionaires on the left gave was all supplemental to the monies that were appropriated much earlier in the year by the 
county boards of supervisors, by the state government for the general fund, uh, for the secretary of state. All of the money that these uh, recorders and secretaries of states received was supplemental to not supplanting of the money that they already had to run the election. And that's a very important thing to note. Yeah, well, and Kelly, one of the pushbacks by when I have some liberals on, on this show, they'll say, hey, if Trump had won the election, none of this would be happening. Uh, what, what's, your, what's your reaction to, to, to things like that? That there's this big push because Trump didn't win the election? No, according I to think them. According to them. It's been funny business for many years, not just in 2020. Um, but 2020 really brought it to the forefront with Republican observers not being able to do the job that they were tasked with doing with these outside entities funneling money basically through organizations to better the public welfare. Well, you know, I understand as a physician that applies to hospitals, as a wife and a mom to parks. But funneling money from private institutions with political agendas and from big tech billionaires with political agendas into these um, very nice sounding not-for-profits in order to influence outcomes in our elections is unconscionable. Imagine if it was happening to our uh, a judiciary. The judiciary needs more money. Let's let big tech billionaires, let's let Mark Zuckerberg and Jack figure out how our judiciary works. I say no, we have to put our foot down and thank goodness for Representative Hoffman and others like him who are putting election integrity bills into place and Republican governors who are signing them into law to restore election integrity and voter confidence. Yeah, unfortunately, well, yeah, go ahead, Jake, I, go ahead. If I can piggyback on that, I would be running this bill if it was the Koch brothers who had come in and done this exact same practice. In fact, I have a bill right now that prohibits the that prohibits modifying or agreeing to modify statutorily prescribed election dates or deadlines. Now this stems from our Secretary of State who is a Democrat agreeing to extend the voter registration period, uh, you know, uh, outside of her constitutional, outside of her legal purview to do that. And it, the thing to note on that is that Republicans actually gained the voter registration advantage in the five days that it was expanded beyond the statutory, the statutory deadline. Okay. I'm running that bill to stop that practice, even though Republicans were benefited by it because it's simply bad elections policy. And that's what we care about most here in Arizona. And I'm confident uh, because I've spoken with legislators in Georgia. I've spoken with legislators in Michigan who are all pursuing Texas, who are pursuing these same things. And we're not doing these because it benefits Republicans. We're doing these because it benefits Democrats, Republicans and independents alike. And it's sound elections policy. Well, that's a great point. And Jake, real quick. Uh, what is else is in the hopper there that we should be aware of? In other words, what might be the next headline we see come out of Arizona in terms of a potential bill that the governor would be interested in signing? So I think one of the next bills that's going to uh, hit the headlines is Senate Bill 1485. It's a bill introduced by uh, Senator Eugenti Rita. 1485 is a very good bill. Uh, it deals with our early voter list. So we have a modified absentee process here in Arizona. Right. And so many people are on the early voter list. Yeah. But what it does, is it says if you perpetually don't vote in elections via the early vote process, the mail-in vote process, yeah. if you perpetually don't participate, uh, you will be sent a notice that says, do you want to stay right. on this list? So, Well, we, we got uh, yeah, to unpack that. I'm running out of time, but I want to hear more about that. Love to have you back on the show. And Kelly, thank you both very, very much. Bye-bye. All right. Stay cool out there. It's April. Who knows? 
in Arizona, it could be 115 in the shade, but it doesn't feel too bad because of the low humidity. I lived in Colorado for 10 years. I know what it's like uh, to a degree. Not like Arizona, though. All right, when we come back, Rick Green, the constitutional coach, talking about papers, vaccine papers. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome back to The Water Cooler, everybody. I've got five very dangerous words. Matter of fact, the most dangerous words in America right now, and it doesn't mean, it's not about the Biden administration. Well, in a way, it kind of is. But uh, here they are. Can I see your papers? Think about that line. Can I see your papers? Hey, Gen Z, go to Wikipedia and Google Nazi Germany 1931 or 29 or 37. Put in whatever date you want. Look, folks, we don't say vaccine passports on this show. That's the last time you're going to hear me say passports, vaccine papers. Is it constitutional? Is it legal? What would happen if your uh, business came to you and said, hey, you need a a COVID-19 vaccine? And you say, you know what? No, I don't think I'm going to get one. Well, can they fire you? What can they do? What could you do to fight back? Is it all constitutional? Look, I've got a lot of questions about this. So, of course, we go to Rick Green, uh, America's Constitution coach and founder of PatriotAcademy.com. Rick, great to see you again, yet again, on this show. So so I don't have to show my papers to be on the show? <laughs> I, I, I can be on the show without my papers. No, Rick, we are going to want to see your papers, if you don't mind. I've got my, my anchor papers right here. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, wait, let, there's, there's kind of two issues here, right? There's the legal issues and there's constitutional issues. Why don't we go broader here? And just talk about from a constitutional perspective, I don't know uh, about all of this stuff. This just feels murky to me. But private business is different than the federal government. So where are we here exactly? Yeah, your instincts are exactly right, man. And and I was thinking, as you said, you know, words to be afraid of. I thought you were going to give us Reagan. I'm from the government and I'm here to help, (laughs) Uh, which definitely applies uh, right now. Reagan always said those were the most feared words in America. Hey, listen, if you don't mind, let's just back up for a second. Let me say, look, medical freedom is going to be the fight of our day, whether you can have freedom of assembly, freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, all of these things, and still have medical freedom at the same time. And so we have this principle that is now conflicting, you just nailed it, with private property rights. And that's where this real fight is going to take place, whether an employer can require this of you as an employee, whether businesses can require it for us to come in as as patrons. And so if I could back up for a second, all of this right now is controlled not by the Constitution or any words or amendments in the Constitution, or even by federal law, but by a Supreme Court decision that is 116 years old. Now, first of all, the Supreme Court should not be making law for America, but we're letting a case called Jacobson from back in 1905 in Massachusetts control the mindset and the attitude and the the decisions being made with regard to our medical freedom, even today, 116 years ago in 1905, there was a pastor, by the way, he was a pastor that fought against a vaccine mandate for smallpox. Now, let's also draw a distinction. This was before we had vaccines for all kinds of non-life-threatening things, everything from chickenpox to sexually transmitted diseases to diarrhea, that's the rotavirus vaccine. I mean, all of these vaccines we have today, 
that are non-life-threatening, and we're trying to apply a Supreme Court decision that had to do with smallpox, which killed 30% of the people that got it. Now, just think about 30% of your neighborhood, 30% of your family being wiped out. That is 300 times more deadly than the COVID-19 virus. The COVID-19 virus is only deadly for one-tenth of 1%. Smallpox was wiping out 30% of the people that got it. And even in that case, the Supreme Court said at the very end of the decision, the last paragraph, they made it very clear, we are not saying that the government has the power to mandate vaccines for everyone, that there should always be exceptions that are allowed. And they specifically said a lot of people aren't suited for the vaccine. Well, when it comes to COVID-19, a lot of us are not suited for that vaccine because we're not at risk when it comes to the virus. So I could go on and on about the difference that and now, but I think we have to have that context whenever everybody says, no, no, Supreme Court said that you can mandate vaccines. And by the way, all they required of the pastor was a $5 fine. They did not go inject him with the vaccine. So this is all so fascinating. Why we have you on the show, because you really give, I mean, let's, let's be honest. No, no one had that information today before they heard you say that. They're not going back 100 and what is it, 16 years ago to the Jacobson case. Years. So, yeah, 160 years. All right. So, so Rick, th- you mentioned exceptions. And I wonder if this is where this is going from a private business standpoint, that, that we're going to have court cases and others about what, a, what a qualifies as an excuse me, as an exemption, uh, because, right. uh, or, you know, because you can make the argument, I guess, that, that you, want the, you don't want the vaccine at all, but if you can claim an exemption, I think that might be the, the wiggle room here. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. No, no, you're right. And I fought this battle 20 years ago. It was one of the main pieces of legislation that I fought for when I was a state rep was to get an exemption in Texas law so that you could decide for yourself which vaccines your children were, were going to get. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. There are some vaccines that we give our kids and some some that right. we don't, but we make a studied decision of each one to say, what is the risk? What's the cost benefit? How, how risky is it that my kid's gonna get that virus or that disease or whatever it might be? And then what's the risk of the vaccine? And that's what people should be able to do. That's called freedom. That's called medical freedom. It should absolutely be that way with the COVID-19 vaccine. Now, I, I do have to say, David, we're, we're going to bump up against a very important right. In fact, I consider it one of the stools of freedom. If you take this stool out, if you take this leg out from under the stool, mm-hmm. you lose freedom, and that is private property rights. I'm, I'm really, some people might say I'm extreme on this. I think a business owner that owns that property, that starts that business, that risks their capital, that the government should not be able to tell them who they can hire, who they can fire. For any reason, you wear the wrong color shirt, I ought to be able to fire you if I want. Um, I should be able to deny business to people that I don't want in my in my restaurant for any reason whatsoever, and that includes even under the Civil Rights Act. If you refuse business based on the color of the skin, we're going to picket you to the next day, and you're going to be out of business. I mean, it should be up to the business owner and the market, and I'm afraid that right is going to conflict with this vaccine papers idea because some businesses are going to jump on board this, and they're going to require those papers for you to come in. And this is not going to be popular with all the folks out there that typically I would agree with. But I think a business owner should be the one to make that decision and the customer. And if the customer decides I don't want to come in, then I don't come in. And okay. and I've struggled with this, to be honest with you, bro, because I hate this vaccine paper thing. Right. I don't think it should be done at all. 
Um, but if you can go down the street to a different place, then you know I, I think that business owner should have the right. I do think there will be a legal question here when it comes to airlines and and things where you can't go somewhere else, where they have essentially a monopoly with just a few players. But that's all going to get fought in the courts before this thing is over because there is a conflict of, of rights here that we're going to be dealing with. And that's why the exemption clause or whatever it is, is going to be so important because then you can have it both ways. You can say, you know, you can let the employer say, look, you, you got to have a vaccine. But if you can have an exemption for it, then, then maybe that's the, 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 the middle ground. Yeah. And if I yeah. could say one more thing, I know yeah, you're running out of time. Yeah. Let's not forget, they're talking about requiring this of people where there is zero due process, zero that's evidence right. that you are a risk. It's one thing if 30% are dying from smallpox and it's all over the community. There is no evidence that I'm a threat to anyone when I step on that plane. Yep. There's no reason they should requiring, be requiring the vaccine or a vaccine paper for this particular virus. Gotcha. Rick Rain, great to see you, sir. Thanks so much. Great information. God bless you, man. Thanks for having me. All right. Sounds good. I'm going to geek out tonight and read the Jacobson ruling 116 years ago. Hey, honey, let's read this tonight. Back in a moment. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, down at Liberty University, they got a big event, uh, and here is the name. Look at that, just on cue. Equity for Africa, hosted by Liberty University School of Business. Hey, we know Dave, Dave Bratt down there, by the way. Uh, so we're going to talk all about it with Amanda Head, Real America's voice correspondent, who's there at Liberty University, where Faith is playing an integral role in all of this. Hey, Amanda, good to see you. Hi, yes, good to see you. Yes, as you said, Dave Bratt is a friend of the network. I think he's made the rounds on all of our shows, but he is the one who is uh, facilitating this and putting this on. It's through Liberty University School of Business, and you've got hundreds of CEOs from all over America, as well as businesses and dignitaries from Africa, from Liberia, Ghana, uh, Nigeria, I mean, just all over. It's really incredible to see uh, the cultural diversity that has descended upon Liberty University. You've got a panel going on behind me. It got kicked off last night. Mike Pompeo, former Secretary of State, spoke at the dinner. And uh, we had some great interviews, of course, with Dave Bratt, talking to him about what was going to be happening over the next few days. I spoke to Mike Pompeo, Michelle Bachman, um, a whole plethora of people. So it's been a really interesting summit. What's kind of the whole uh, vibe down there? What are they trying to accomplish? Because, uh, you know, for, for years I've reported on faith issues as it relates to what's happening overseas. And I, and I know uh, there's been a big faith explosion in Africa, especially in the evangelical church there. There's a, there's a lot going on in Africa, especially as it pertains to faith-based programs trying to help uh, better uh, folks that, that live on, the, on that continent. Absolutely. And that was one of the very public focuses of this summit was faith. And it's because they wanted to help foster and create relationships uh, between people with like minds. And obviously in Africa, you have a lot of hot spots of terrorism, Boko Haram and other terrorist organizations. But like you said, Christianity 
I mean, it, it is a wellspring that is happening there, and it's wonderful to see. And, and those are the types of people that you want to be in business with, people who, who share your values. And I think that, you know, looking at international business as we go forward, as Americans, for entrepreneurs, people who are starting up companies, I think that people are starting to look a lot more at African enterprise and opportunities because, you know, when you consider all of the issues, not just economical and, and trade-related, but um, social issues in China, I think that the aim for a lot of folks here is to replace those Chinese business relationships with African business relationships. Yeah, that's interesting. Has there been talk of politics there at all, whether Biden administration policies have come up or or former Trump, uh, President Trump administration policies? Because, you know, Mike Pompeo, as you mentioned, was there. I know Mark Short uh, was expected to be down there, Herschel Walker mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so, so has any of that come yeah. up? Has politics been a part of this? I don't mean politics from a political perspective, but more from a policy perspective. Right. I, I think peripherally, politics have been discussed, but Mike Pompeo, I mean, obviously a, a hallmark of his speech last night was President Trump's America First agenda and how he would like to see that continued. Um, a lot of the folks who have spoken have, have referenced policies from the last four years, policies that allowed their businesses to flourish. I spoke to Jim Bridenstein, a former, national, uh, former NASA administrator last night, and he talked about President Trump's policies with regards to NASA and the Space Force. So it's been touched on just a little bit, but the focus here um, is, is staying, not, not necessarily staying away from politics intentionally, but focusing on business and capitalism and creating these business relationships and doing it, you know, with respect to the policies that really help propagate success for their businesses. Well, that's interesting. And so I wonder how capitalism and all of that fits into some of the uh, African countries' models. I mean, there's different models. I mean, you can go from everywhere from uh, uh, Nigeria right. to j just all different, all to, you know, mm -hmm. all different uh, areas for sure. Uh, so, so how does that work? I mean, Kenya and Nigeria can be very, very different in terms of their politics and, and capitalism, mm -hmm. or excuse me, their economic policies. Yeah, you know, for, for each of these countries, I mean, just, just like any North American, Central American, or South American country, you have varying degrees of free market and capitalism. Um, but for the business leaders who have been here, and, and we've had vice presidents, prime ministers, kings and queens from all, what is it, 54 countries in Africa. So they are all very different, but the folks who I have heard from, uh, from African countries who are interested in, in extending that branch to start business business with people in the United States. Uh, they seem to be very keen and on board with, with capitalism. Obviously, that's something that, you know, depending on the climate in their country is something that they probably have to deal with on the other side of the ocean. Uh, but as far as these relationships, they have been very keen on, on creating those with the CEOs and the business leaders here. Yeah, as we just wrap up, uh, so how long does this conference go for? Is it, is it wrapping up today, tomorrow? Uh, what are we talking about here? Tomorrow is the last full day. They have speakers into tomorrow evening, and then that's it. And I think I'm going to try to, to circle back to Jen Psaki with Dave Bratt before we head out of here just to see how he thinks everything went and hear his thoughts. <laughs> yeah, you had to get the circle back comment in. Very impressive. Amanda had weaving the circle back uh, into the conversation. Amanda, thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. 
Uh, My pleasure. All right, Amanda Head from Liberty University. She's everywhere, you know. She's in California. She's at Liberty University. She's on the border. I, mean, she, I don't know. She's everywhere, uh, which we really appreciate. By the way, I, I should tell you this. I've done uh, some moderating of panels uh, at the U.S. Global Leadership Fund, which kind of plays a little bit into this Equity for Africa situation. In other words, there are faith-based groups, and not just faith-based groups, but just economic groups overall, that are trying to do something called smart power, not just in Africa, but in countries all around the country. What a smart power means. It means that diplomacy uh, can actually be, can be achieved and stronger relationships can be achieved in certain countries between the United States and other countries by imploring smart power. So that means uh, better economic conditions on the ground. If you have better economic conditions on the ground, for example, let's say in Africa, you will hopefully, the, the theory goes, have better relationships with the United States because you will be a, more of a thriving country from a capitalist perspective. And if that's the case, uh, then indeed you can bind, or excuse me, uh, tie and come together with America and therefore uh, the, the world becomes a more safe and secure place. And that's why uh, that, or excuse me, that uh, convention, I should say, or conference, I really should call it, is so important because you've got to get other countries to be able to uh, basically live uh, and breathe capitalism in their countries. If you do that, then you have a stronger bedrock from an economic perspective, and that makes all the difference in the world. All right, so uh, that's Amanda Head from Liber Liberty University. We're back in a moment with the last sip, which has to do with Marco Rubio and the Afghanistan troop pullout. What do neocons say and do now? Talk about it in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler. I don't know if you caught that. Replay it. I was like this because it's time for the last sip. I always pose. Do you notice I always pose? Last sip. Uh, take a screenshot of that and send it to your relatives. Uh, Afghanistan, the troop pullout. We've talked about it in this show. It's the big story of the day, the story at the water cooler, if you will, at least one of them. Joe Biden going to pull all troops out of Afghanistan uh, by September 11th, the 20th anniversary, obviously, of 9-11. Uh, so, so this is an interesting situation, leaving neocons uh, versus, if you will, some of the Trump Republicans who are like, get out of all wars. Uh, so, so let's listen to Marco Rubio, who would be considered uh, pretty much a neocon, but has had to kind of adjust his uh, thinking here a little bit with Trump as president, now Biden's president. Our Nick Ballacy caught up with him. Here it is. You probably saw that the uh, Biden administration is reportedly planning to withdraw from Afghanistan by the next anniversary, by September 11th. Uh, what do you think of that decision? Well, that was a decision that began under President Trump. And um, so they've just what they've announced is that they're going to stick with President Trump's decision uh, with regards to Afghanistan. Look, the outcome is going to be a terrible thing. The Taliban, I believe, will eventually take over the country as they were in charge before, and it's not going to be a good outcome. The flip side of it is that I'm not sure what the pathway to a better future in the near term was. And, um, you know, given all the other needs we're facing around the world, you know, once President Trump made that decision, I think the die was cast in that regard. Do you think the U.S. has made enough progress on training the Afghan security forces? I mean, I hope so. I don't have a tremendous amount of uh, 
I hope I'm wrong because of the implications, but I don't have a lot of faith that the current government in Afghanistan will be able to survive or hold on for long. Uh, the, the, the Taliban, uh, my, my personal opinion, everything I, mean, I know is that I think the Taliban will have an Afghan, Afghanistan controlled by the Taliban um, again. And that's not a good outcome, but it's the direction that we're headed. And the previous administration agreed to that. The current administration stuck with it, and that's where we're going. Notice the body language with Marco Rubio there. That's what you have to pay attention to. You see him shrug his shoulders, like, what am I going to do? You know, basically he thinks this is a horrible decision, not just by Biden, but by Trump, okay? He doesn't think we should be getting out of Afghanistan. At the same time, he also knows, what, is this going to go on uh, forever? 30 years, 50 years, 100 years? So, so th this is the problem uh, here that Marco Rubio and others confront. Here's the bottom line. Uh, look, it looks like in a way we're back to square one. Taliban's going to be re-engaged after this for sure. Back in a moment. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Uh, you know, I, I love this segment. It's like a potpourri. It's a, it's a, it's a smorgasbord. You never know what you're going to get. Uh, and, and look, uh, joining me now, Anna Perez uh, with Real America's Voice, uh, correspondent with Real America's Voice. Uh, you know, I don't know what you're going to bring to the table. You, you bring so much. <laughs> but you have stories every single day. I do. Well, and today we have an interesting one. Nice um, transition. Thank you. Okay, what do you um, got? So this one's interesting. White liberals actually favor punishing racism more harshly than blacks do. Really? Um, yeah. And I, you know, I honestly don't think this is probably surprising to mm -hmm. most people who, you know, are aware of their surroundings at all because, well, first of all, the numbers are 71% of whites actually prefer an approach to racism where you actually punish people more who are racist yeah. or who do racist things or say racist things, whereas uh, blacks prefer a more resilient approach. 53% um, of them say that that's something that, like racism is something that blacks should be resilient, be able to be resilient to. Mm -hmm. um, so I just think that's interesting. I think it really is telling of, you know, a lot of these movements that we've seen, like Black Lives Matter, you know, mm -hmm. who is this really attracting? Mm -hmm. Well, it's attracting a lot of white people who, you know, are told to feel guilty about their race, are told to feel guilty for things that happened, you know, years before they were even alive. Mm -hmm. So I think that was, I think it's very telling for, you know, where we are, how divided we are, and how this is actually dividing us more racially. Yeah. No, 100%. Then you have people like, and I just mentioned Bernie Sanders, but you got a lot of them. Uh, well, AOC, I mean, he's, uh, she's, she's not a white uh, liberal, uh, but you know, you got a lot of liberals overall kind of feeding, fanning the flames on, on a lot of this as well. Yeah, you do. And I think it's, it, it's great fodder for them because, again, mm -hmm. it's a way for them to control minorities. And, you know, I know we were talking about this before the show, but, mm -hmm. you know, I grew up in a Hispanic household. You know, right. I can tell you firsthand that being politically correct just isn't really a priority for a lot of Hispanics, for a lot of, it's not a part of our culture, it's not something that we really, it's not a political thing for us, it's just never been an issue. I think really what this is, is it's an issue that whites have focused on to make it look like to blacks and Hispanics, like, hey, this is a big issue, Republicans are after you, Republicans are racist, mm -hmm. you know, they want to discriminate, um, when in reality the ironic part is they're the ones discriminating if you look at, you know, what's happening in colleges and stuff. But, you yeah. know, it's just been an, it's, it's an interesting, you know, 
switch of events, I guess you could say. Yeah, for sure. And Trump exposed a lot of that in he 2016. Did. Mm -hmm. All right, uh, Anna, good to see you. Great to see you. Great, good, great. No, sorry, great to see you. Okay, uh, tomorrow <laughs> on the water cooler. Oh, look at this, it's impromptu. I better read this. Senator Lindsey Graham is gonna be joining us. Who is, I know him. Also, Senator Mike Braun. Madison, you told me we have two U.S. Senators on this show? See you tomorrow.